0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: My name is Julie Douglas.
1: And in this episode, we are going to talk about a little movie that came out this year called Prometheus.
0: Oh, this tiny, tiny little indie flick. You probably have not heard about it.
1: Tiny little uh, viral marketing campaign on the web. Mm -hmm. Maybe a TV ad or two, you know. Um, no oh, well,
0: names in it.
1: Yeah, up-and-coming guy by the name of uh, Ridley Scott directed it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So why are we talking about it? Well, everybody is talking about it in one uh, way or another. And there there's a lot of talk about the science in this film. Because we, we've discussed the importance of fiction, the importance of science fiction before. Um, where we're creating these uh, these fictional versions of what the future will be ba- be like based on present technology, emerging technology, mm-hmm. modern concerns, modern fears, modern hopes. And then you wrap that all up into a nice package and consume it. And uh, Prometheus is one of, if not the biggest science fiction films to come out in 2012. Um, really, for my money, the, the biggest science fiction film to come out in a while. I can't remember the last one that I really kind of got excited about and 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 ultimately really got my my mind moving uh in in a scientific way.
0: Yeah, I was going to say in the last 10 years, can you think of anything that's been quite on the scale?
1: Yeah, not not not, not quite, no. Um so we are going to jump in uh, and we are going to discuss this film, but we want to let you know that we are going to have a clean divider between spoiler-free and spoiler talk. So from now until the uh, commercial break that we take, we promise to uh, steer clear of any major spoilers. Anything that happens uh, in the you know the later portions of the film when once the plot gets moving uh, and all that, uh, and we're uh, and we're going to also save our opinions uh, for the most part uh, for that section as well. After the commercial break, anything's game. Yeah, so all just, bets are off. Yeah, so fair warning: if you if you have seen it, you can listen to the whole thing. No worries. If you have not seen it and would like to watch it spoiler free, then when you come to the commercial break, uh, pause it and come back after you've uh, been to the theater. So uh, before we jump completely into it, let's uh, let's actually reacquaint ourselves. Or if you have somehow missed that massive uh, <laughs> ad campaign. Um, that they they launched online and and on TV and probably in the sky and on our skin uh for <laughs> in prometheus our yeah and in our dreams uh then here's a taste of what the movie is is about as much as we can convey uh in a purely um audio environment so uh so here you go here's a little clip from prometheus please tell me you can read that what
0: are you doing david i'm attempting to open the door wait We don't know what's on the other side. Oops. Sorry. Remarkably human. Beautiful painting. It's a mural. Stop
1: it, stop it.
0: Don't touch it. Sorry. Please don't touch anything. Oh, no. The murals are changing. I think we've affected the atmosphere in the room. Charlie! David! We must leave now!
1: So that clip kind of introduces the uh, the mystery and intrigue that uh, unfolds as we follow a crew of scientists and soldiers and explorers and mysterious corporate people as they travel to a distant exoplanet mm-hmm. uh, in attempt to discover possibly the origins of life.
0: That's right. It's a trillion dollar trip. Yes. All right. This is uh, not you know some sort of weekend jaunt. It's taken them two years. I don't believe that's a, sp- a plot spoiler at all. There, no. two years to, to uh, it will take two years to arrive on this planet, and uh, they are aboard the USS CSS Prometheus, which is a nuclear ion plasma uh, engine fueled craft.
1: Yeah, and it is it is really pimped out uh, because this, this whole beautiful. venture in this uh, film is is the product of uh, of this Peter Whalen character, this Whalen Industries, uh, and and this is a. Fictional conglomeration of various, um, you know, major tech companies. So, so think a little, a little bit of Branson and Virgin yeah. Galactic thrown in here, you know, a little bit of Google, a little, like any major company that's really on the, um, you know, on the cutting edge and the bleeding edge of technology, uh, this is an amalgamation of, of that.
0: And what I like about this Whaling character too, this Peter Whalen, who's the head of this corporation, is that he does have this Branson like spirit in that he breaks all the rules, right? Mm-hmm. He's, um, he's a pioneer. He is someone who lives life to the fullest and he's interested in, in exploring every corner of, of the universe. And so I do think it's a very, uh, engaging character. And I h- actually get that sense more from um, the promo yes. than the actual movie.
1: Yeah, they did some virals where he's doing a, like a 2023 t- TED Talk, I believe, mm-hmm. and he's talking about, uh, uh, you know, really just summing up his philosophy on, on science and human achievement.
0: And I was thinking, too, that the, for, for me, this is the first time that something like that, this material, this media that is not the movie itself has really enhanced my um, my enjoyment of the movie itself.
1: Yeah, because generally it's just yeah one-off stuff that is aimed at getting a new theater, and they really were very interested in getting you thinking about the film and the the world of the film prior to uh, to you, you actually picking up a ticket.
0: Yeah, and I love that they framed it in the TED.com yeah. talk, you know. because And one of the things they said, actually, is that they wanted, when they were advertising for the film, that they wanted people to sort of engage on a different level and to perhaps even be introduced to TED.com itself if they never had listened to TED.com.
1: Yeah, which is um, great because TED, of course, I, I feel like most of our listeners probably know TED, and if you haven't, do check out the TED Talks because it's it's amazing stuff. Each one is a is a you know deals with mind blowing topics. Generally, uh, around stuff that is that that will or can change the world for the better. So
0: in eighteen minutes or less. Yeah, yeah.
1: So uh, Wayland Industries, all this technology. Uh, so the the ship in the film and the characters in the film have a lot of of really cool gadgets, a lot of really cool science, and this is about a hundred years in the future. And, uh, and so we're going to spend a lot of time in this podcast just talking, taking it bit by bit. Mm-hmm. There's a little technology here, a little technology there, and discussing what we thought about it, how it lines up with things that we've discussed before, uh, on stuff to blow your mind. And, and then we'll also, uh, in the later half of, uh, of this podcast, we'll also get into some of the cultural aspects, um, and, you know, and some of the gross or goofy stuff as well. First, I should point out that, uh, this was a science fiction film. A big blockbuster science fiction film. So there are certain problems that are always going to be present. For instance, magic gravity. Uh, magic artificial gravity aboard a spaceship. Um, really the only film I can think of that did not engage in magical, unexplained uh, gravity has been 2001. Mm-hmm. Uh, where where they actually put some, some forethought into what it would be like in a weightless environment how how you would uh, you would uh, simulate uh, gravity artificially uh, through the use of uh, rotation uh, you you encounter some legitimate or at least pseudoscientific excuses for artificial gravity in hard science fiction so specifically hard science fiction novels but uh, you get into the realm of big space movies and they tend to either give a give it sort of a, a you know half explanation or just don't explain it at all, or
0: it's just assume that the year is twenty ninety three, and somehow they've mastered uh, creating this this atmosphere where they're not floating around in yeah. the ship.
1: Like even Danny Boyle's uh, Sunshine. Uh, did you ever see that one? I didn't. Um, like they had Brian Cox um, on board to uh, to to give them science advice as they were filming it. And they still just went ahead and had artificial gravity and didn't explain it. And, uh, and some people were, were kind of upset, like British science journalist, uh, uh, Anjana Aja was, uh, was a bit perturbed by this and, and made kind of a stink about it. But it's just, it's generally, it's what you're going to get. Yeah. Uh, with science fiction films. Likewise, sound in space. The first alien had sound in space. You encounter a little sound in space in this one. You see a spaceship traveling through the void. Somebody's going to want to throw in, uh, the sound of thrusters. Someone's going to want to throw in the sound of an explosion if something blows up in space. Uh, the only um, exceptions to this rule, really, are 2001. Yeah. And uh, and also the Firefly TV show did a good job with this, of keeping uh, space soundless. But then they made the Serenity movie, and, uh, and clearly you know, studio heads or whoever came in and yeah. said, this is nice, but if you're going to have a battle in space, we want explosions. And so well,
0: it. and it is a big blockbuster. You can't really, uh, I mean, you can't. Help, but expect that. The audience yeah, is probably you, going to expect you're that. Gonna, you're watching the a, a
1: blockbuster science fiction film. You go into it with those expectations. Anything else is just a bit silly.
0: But 2001, I will say um, that the absence of sound really just makes it that much more alienating and yeah. creepy and wonderful. I but mean, that's it's that's the granddaddy of, uh, of all
1: science fiction films. Still still holds up today. Yeah. All right. So we're going to discuss more of the, uh, the actual technology uh, that we see in the film. But first, we need to talk a little bit about um, sexuality. In Alien, of specifically. And, uh, and Panties, actually, uh, factors into this as well.
0: Okay, so the reason why we want to talk about Aliens and and Panties in space uh, is because Ridley Scott directed the first Aliens. as, as Alien, yeah. Yes. It's part of the Aliens franchise. Yes. And although Prometheus is not directly related to Aliens, uh, Ridley Scott has said that it's part of the DNA of Alien, yeah, uh-huh. and it was
1: at least at some point in its development a prequel to Alien, and in, to a certain extent still is. Yes, yeah.
0: yeah. There, there, uh, There's definitely some themes that are explored in Alien, um, Alien 1, and some of the other ones, uh, as well as Prometheus. So let's talk about uh, the Pantalones.
1: Yes, well, okay, so if you, you go all the way back to 79, I was like a year old. And, uh, and Ridley Scott makes this film. And he really, he, in interviews, he's, he's been very clear that he set out to make a slasher movie in space, a, a haunted house movie in space. You have the alien spaceship, which is, essentially, and the cramped, claustrophobic um, uh, Nostromo ship in the original film. And it's essentially a haunted house with a slasher aboard. Mm-hmm. Only it's a spaceship and an alien. And, and... In the three decades since that film came out, we've just layered multiple layers of uh, criticism and interpretation and uh, and fanboy fanaticism on top of that film and really built it up into this great intellectual thing <laughs> to a certain extent. Um, I mean, we, we've... Uh, on one level... You can't help but create a lot of uh, thought-provoking content with this because even if you're saying, I'm just going to create a a slasher film, Mm -hmm. what is a slasher film? Well, you can get into a lot of interesting commentary and discussion on that uh, on on its own. There are uh, people that argue that a, a slasher film is essentially uh human sacrifice that uh in the old days you had uh, you had males that wanted to dominate society and to uh to cancel out cancel out female power and to um combat the female science of birth you bring ab- about the male science of death we've touched on this i think mm-hmm. a little bit in episodes in the past so whereas women create with their bodies men kill with their hands and their weapons and modern societies of course we're not really all about human sacrifice anymore but we can still make movie after movie after movie in which females typically females that are engaging in um, stereotypically unethical behavior are brutally murdered by a male figure
0: okay so what we're seeing is a moral code in a lot of these films
1: yeah so just even if you're making you're trying to make just a slasher film there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of problematic uh, area already there mm-hmm. on top of that who do you get to design? your monster for this uh, 1979 film, but H.R. Giger, whose big deal is biomechanical designs of a typically sexual nature.
0: Okay, when you say sexual nature, I think what you're primarily saying is that so many of of his creations look like a phallus, yes?
1: Phallus or Or a a vagina. vagina. Yes, everything looks like genitalia to a certain extent. Stylized, um, hot leather genitalia is generally...
0: What? Did you say hot leather genitalia?
1: Yeah, I don't know why hot leather. It's more like a cold leather. Yeah, anyway, cold leather genitalia. Let's say, and uh, and I mean that's the look of H- HR Geeker's stuff. If you've you've seen it everywhere,
0: and this is the mood that pervades um, the Prometheus for sure.
1: Yeah, and um, spills over into this.
0: Alien one, and and the other aliens. Yeah, yeah. So, um,
1: but the panties.
0: The panties. Getting back to the panties. What the panties have spawned. When I say the panties, this, we're talking about Sigourney Weaver's character in the panties in Alien One.
1: Yeah, in in the original Alien film, she's you have this whole crew, uh, mostly male crew, and one by one they're knocked out by this alien. Uh, it's bursting. It's basically impregnates uh, one man through the face. And then bursts out of his stomach. It's uh, and
0: there's and you sent me a really interesting article about how it's sort of there's uh, themes of of rape in there as well.
1: Yeah, it's there are strong themes of of rape and sexual assault because the the creature is essentially sexually assaulting right. each member, and especially the male members, and uh, in no the case of it. the one character, impregnating him. More or less, with this violent, uh, this violent vision of, uh, of pregnancy in which the thing then grows in his stomach, mm-hmm. like a gastrointestinal, uh, confusion of pregnancy, mm-hmm. uh, with this violent birth that kills the, uh, mother slash father. Um, you know, so strong themes of this, uh, and then it just goes, of course, one by one, each character getting knocked off. And Ripley, Sigourney Weaver's character, remains really strong, uh, you know, you can really get behind her as this strong female character. Um, and then you have this scene towards the end of the film that, of course, made a strong impression on me when I watched it um, as a, like a One-year-old. Not a, not a one-year-old, <laughs> but as a, uh, as a uh, you know, I'm, I'm going through puberty. I watch Alien. And there's this scene where, oh, she's safe. She's finally gotten away. She's blown up the ship. And she decides, oh, now's a good time to go ahead and strip down to my underwear and then get into my escape, uh, into my uh, cryogenics pod and uh and just sail home mm-hmm. little does she know the alien is there watching her um and, and as she so, changes yeah. so
0: the camera becomes the voyeur
1: right and the alien is kind of the voyeur because the alien's not really attacking at first he's he's just he or she is just kind of hanging back and she doesn't even know he's there and she's wearing really skimpy simple underwear but very skimpy i think you said it like looked like she's wearing something a, a few sizes too small
0: yeah it looks like Plumber's Crack underwear. Yeah. Um, it's actually an underwear that I've never quite seen before. Maybe hmm. this exists out there. And uh, Well, it's in the future, right? It, right, where apparently you, you, everybody has Plumber's Crack. But um, it's not ugly, uh, but it it's is very hyper, provocative. Yeah,
1: it's not hyper-sexualized. Like, she's not wearing, like, a G-string or anything. But it is a very sexual scene because suddenly she's, she's unclothed. She's vulnerable. Uh, mm-hmm. The scenes are shot in a way to... Th- it's no accident that it's a, a sexy scene, and that and at any moment this creature, this phallic monstrous uh, sexual monster, is going to attack her, and then you know, and we just hope that she has clothes on by that point.
0: Well, uh, this has spawned a whole cottage industry within academia of of um, trying to figure out what the panties mean. Yeah, I mean, even probably more so than the the Buffy verse, right? right. Um,
1: because it's it's problematic for people yeah. because they're analyzing it and they're like all right all the sexual content um, a really strong female character and they're like, I'm totally on board and then she strips under the panties and they're like deal breaker.
0: Okay so we're we're, uh, we're talking about all of this because uh, after the commercial break and we get more into um, some some spoilers there this is going to be a larger part of our conversation yes. then. but we wanted to go ahead and seed it now
1: Yeah all right so more more on the, the panties later. <laughs>
0: But but but, but uh, in uh, in the spirit of seeding, let's talk about this this other theme that runs through Prometheus, panspermia.
1: Yes, uh, so we've discussed uh, panspermia before, and um, specifically too the idea of exogenesis, which is the notion that life originated elsewhere in the universe mm-hmm. and somehow found its way to the planet. Um, this is this is dealt with right at the beginning of Prometheus because you you kick off the movie with this tall pale. Um, Human-like. Humanoid creature, yeah, and he's apparently abandoned on this uh, desolate world by a spaceship that takes off, and then he uh, he drinks some sort of goop, and then he melts, and his DNA like just becomes this primordial goop that uh, you, you get the idea is going to spawn life on this planet. Right. Maybe the Earth, maybe another planet. We don't know.
0: You see his body break down and like the DNA helices just sort of merging with the water.
1: Yeah, and uh, and so this is a. Fantastic um, idea of what exogenesis and, to a certain extent, panspermia might consist of. It's kind of like to have a blender. You throw in a little bit of panspermia and exogenesis and then throw in a little chariot of the gods as well. Chariot of the, Chariots of the Gods, of course, is a 1968 book by Eric von Denken. And this is where we get the idea that ancient astronauts visited Earth and serve as the god figures of our mythologies who wowed us with their technology and taught us to do things like bake bread and build pyramids. That sort of thing.
0: Yeah, it was interesting to me because I've always thought of panspermia as being more like this tiny bit of bacteria, and it is right?
1: in the strictly scientific sense. Yeah.
0: Right. So to see this this um, this sort of Titan-like, human-like creature, um, like literally dissolve into DNA and then spread uh, his his uh, panspermia in that manner was. It, it was interesting. I mean, it's it's visually arresting, and I should say that if nothing, this film is will knock your socks off. I mean, it is gorgeous. It's beautiful. You can't help but inhabit the minds of the characters mm-hmm. um in this movie.
1: Yeah, Scott has always been a, a fabulous visual director. Even films like Legend, which I don't think has—I I wasn't a huge fan of the plot line in Legend—or I'm, I'm not really sure that it's important though, because Legend was just such a stunning, yeah, film. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and that the devil in that is just incredible i think we've talked about that before but um <laughs> He's so buff. He is, but he's... Uh, anyway, so um, that's a whole other conversation. So that is the opening sequence here for Prometheus. We see this happening, and it is a really interesting way to get into this idea of how did we actually come to exist here on Earth in the first place.
1: Yeah. All right, next on the list, uh, suspended animation, cryostatus. This factors into all of the, the Alien franchise films. It was in the first one. They wake up from this, uh, quote-unquote, wake up from from this sleep, and mm-hmm. then the plot begins. And uh, and we see a similar thing in this. The crew of the Prometheus have been traveling for two years, and they've been asleep, uh, uh, quote-unquote asleep, while David, the artificial human, the android of the ship, um, learns languages and plays basketball and comes his hair while watching Lawrence of Arabia.
0: Oh, which is, a, again, another incredible scene. Because you're trying to, you know, you're sort of getting your bearings in the mm-hmm. in the film. And uh, it looks like he is the only person on the ship. Yeah. Um, and
1: Played by Michael Fassbender, of course. His, yeah. His and and he is
0: so good in this role. And we'll talk more about the significance of David later.
1: So we recently did an episode on hibernation in mm-hmm. which we discussed some of the, some of what we know about... Uh, Suspended animation and 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 hibernation and ways that we could artificially instill it, and this is something that is of, of interest not only to DARPA and NASA, but also just uh, uh, medicine. Actually, in general, like I was going to say, know?
0: emergency room doctors. Yeah, you know,
1: the idea is like, all right, something is wrong. Let us chill this out until we can actually treat it, or in in more extreme cases, chill it out until we can actually find a cure for it.
0: Right, because if you have some sort of trauma, you're bleeding to death, you're losing oxygen to your brain, can you suspend that? And that's what we're talking about, uh, suspended animation.
1: So in that episode, uh, the hibernation episode, we discussed uh, methods to uh, use both chemical and thermal um, techniques to put an animal under into a hibernative state where their metabolism uh, cranks way down, and and they're put into this, not quite sleep phase, but something that... uh, you could call suspended animation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, a, there's actually an, another interesting guy, this guy, Mark Roth, researcher yeah. at uh, Fred Hutchison Cancer Research Center in Seattle, Washington. And uh, he's, uh, he's looked in, into uh, short-term suspended animation a lot because, again, this would be a way to stabilize uh, patients that are in trauma from injury. Uh, so normally hydrogen sulfide is toxic. Mm-hmm. But um, Roth has worked on this technique where you can use it to actually alter uh, mammalian metabolism. When it's applied in a cold environment, resulting in this suspended animation uh, type situation. All right. And so when you're in the suspended state, the body can better cope with uh, deadly oxygen de- deprivation that results from shock, massive blood loss, uh, and heart attacks. So,
0: yeah, it's really cool because if you give someone hydrogen sulfide, which is what he did with animals, um, what it does is it knocks you out, and it might cause the oxygen to not bind. So it's kind of like a game of musical chairs there. Yeah. And that can manipulate your metabolism. And he was actually inspired by this because there was a, a, a skier. I want to say she was Swedish, but she was caught... um frozen to death for like five hours or something. Mm-hmm. And she came out of this kind of suspended animation completely fine. And so that's kind of what got him to think about this idea of hydrogen sulfide, which we produce in tiny amounts yeah. in our own bodies, and what would happen if you expanded that amount. And it's not hard to sort of see that technology now being realized in the year 2093. For two years? Mm-hmm. I don't know, but you know, it's the, the five hours now that we know has happened at least uh, accidentally or as a byproduct of an accident could that be extrapolated to 2 years maybe yeah. but we know that that uh, the foundation is there
1: yeah so i ultimately i ultimately liked what they did with it in this if for no other reason they really made a point of making waking up from cryostatus kind of gross people were throwing up all yeah. over the place they're clearly they look like they're, they're they have the worst hangover imaginable and uh, and we were when we were discussing hibernation and the artificial hibernation uh, and the potential that it could be used uh, uh, for long-term space travel, uh, we brought that up. That in science fiction films, that there a lot of times it's it's not this traumatic wake up, uh, and and we even put a call out to uh, listeners as it said, hey, if you've seen something where we're waking up from suspended animation in a science fiction film is actually traumatic, let us know. And and in fact, uh, one of our a couple of our listeners pointed out the film Pandorum, which. Um, which also featured people waking up in a very adult, uh, physically disruptive state. So I I liked what they did in this film with that.
0: Yeah, 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 that was very realistic. And again, all of this is about building a a world that you can really believe in. And yes, there are perhaps some holes in different places that we'll discuss later on. um, But uh, Ridley Scott does do such an amazing job of making you feel like you're inserted into this world that could happen in 2093, possibly.
1: Speaking of inserted... Uh, the next, uh, bit we're gonna discuss is the MedPod 720i, which, um, is introduced early on in the film. You see it on the ship. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we'll, we'll discuss it a little more later, but I'm just, you know, this thing's gonna be used. It's like, it's the cannon. It's a smoking gun. It's, smoke, it's like you it's the introduce gun the, the stage. gun. It's gonna yeah. go off. You know, it's gonna factor into the plot if you introduce it the way they introduce it. And it's, uh, it's really snazzy. They introduced this cool, um, uh, outline of the various parts as part of the viral marketing, and so it has comfortable limb restraints, a liquid spray anesthetic, a laser scalpel, airtight operating shield, computer-controlled robotic surgical arms, vital sign sensors, and an adjustable titanium base. Um, though we are told from the get-go that it is, um that, that it is a rare piece of technology in the future, that there are only like twelve of these.
0: Things. Yeah, it's one, yeah, one of twelve.
1: Now today we do have uh, we do not have bona fide. Robotic surgery, where a, where a robot is carrying out medical procedures on a regular basis on its own. We have the Da Vinci system uh, mm-hmm. that uh, continues to to show a lot of promise, and uh, and generally robot assisted procedures where we have the bullseye right now. The idea that let's let's work on robotic systems that can aid a surgeon in uh, during the surgery, or Telesurgery surgery uh, systems that can allow a surgeon to perform a, a procedure from the other side of the world, from another country, another city, remotely through robotic hands. Right. And if we reach the point where we have robots working side by side with humans in a surgical environment, we can create a We can we can better adapt them to learn from their human sur- surgeons, and eventually reach the point where we could have technology like we see in the movie.
0: Where you have like uh, an autonomous procedure or um, something that you can program. Yeah, because the the, the
1: idea when you're introduced to it, it's it's like a bed with a shell over it. And you climb into the bed, push whatever you need done, and it'll do it. It's like, oh, I need my tonsils out. Just punch it in.
0: It's pretty brilliant.
1: Press send and then lay back. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, And we'll talk more about why it's brilliant and uh, terrifying and wonderful uh, a little bit later. But let's get to something um, that borders sort of on what we've talked about as brain mapping or even brain memory storage.
1: Yes, because as we mentioned, uh, w- when we're on board the Prometheus, at first everyone is in cryostasis status and David is walking about, doing his thing, uh, combing his hair, but also <laughs> checking on the dreams of the individuals that are, uh, that are under Mm-hmm. in their in their crested spots,
0: right, so he just places a hand on on their little pods and their information comes up so presumably the reason why he can uh, check in on their dreams or uh, check out. Their stats in general is just to make sure that they're okay when they're in this state. Um, but it is very interesting because we've talked about how the National Science Foundation has, you know, I think it was last year, awarded a half million dollar grant to the Universities of Central Florida at Orlando and Illinois at Chicago to explore how research- researchers might use AI, archiving and computer imaging to create digital lifelike versions of real people. What we're talking about here is a backup system for your brain.
1: Yeah, which is whole, I mean, it's just the, the technology is just very, barely touched on in this film. But you, you people can and have created entire science fiction uh, properties just based off of this this idea. Um, in the last couple of years, we saw where scientists at the University of California, Berkeley, um, uh, around with uh, reconstructing the internal quote-unquote movie that plays in a person's head by using uh, uh, fMRI scans uh, and having, uh, having patients look at uh, or test subjects look at films and mm-hmm. then watching what their brain is doing when they look at that and then trying to match it up later. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. It shows some promise for a potential future in which we could use um, really laser-attentive fMRI data to tell what is going on in a person's head to the point where we can actually get an idea of what they're envisioning
0: and it's interesting that in prometheus that they're playing the dreams because that definitely serves the plot right so we can get some exposition on the characters but if you want to try to fit it into this this um this world that ridley scott has created it would make sense that david would check in on those dreams and um you know but there would be something that you could administer if someone were, say, having nightmares for hours on end right. or um, that they just seemed unsettled. Like, th- all of these would sort of be clues to how the person is actually doing in this state.
1: And also a mega company like Wayland Industries, there's also the, the, the scary idea that this enormous company is actually looking at my dreams. So, you know, sure. imagine if your employer could see your dreams. Yeah. Uh, it would be. It would be weird, like that time that I dreamt that our boss was was getting married, uh, like he was marrying his wife again, like uh, they were reaffirming their vows and they were going to do it in the office. Like, what have you saw? What would you think? I, I never know. knew about that dream. I thought I told you about that. Oh dream. my god, yeah. no! I forget there was something else kind of weird about it, but that's the only thing I remember. <sighs> um,
0: Wiping from brain. <laughs> so yeah, there's there's this idea that. Um, That this technology in 2093 would be in full use, that that you would have a backup of your brain, that you would be able to monitor someone's dreams along with their vital signs.
1: All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, um, all bets are off, and we will spoil any and everything in the film. So. uh Pause pause this uh, podcast if you have not seen it. Go out and see it right now, whatever you're doing. Go mm-hmm. see it in the theater, or rent it, whatever, and then come back and we will, uh, we will discuss what happens. All right. Well, we're back. And uh, so, yeah, the rest of that movie happened, didn't it?
0: Oh, yeah. And uh, this thing happened and then there was a fire and then boom, and that was the end.
1: Well... <laughs> so there
0: you go, plot spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's so much more involved than that. In fact, just this morning, uh, Holly Fry of Pop Stuff and mm-hmm. another editor, Chris Obenschain, Obens- uh, were having a very heated discussion about the movie. Oh, were they? Yeah, they were. It was very interesting. Huh. Um, I lingered because, you know, I have some of the... I, I felt like the devil's advocate. I had some of the same perspectives of, it's, as it's both been, of them. Yeah,
1: audiences have been a, a little split over it because... On one level, you have individuals who really came into this with lofty expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I say, that original 1979 film, like we said earlier, has 30 years worth of, 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 of fan uh, enthusiasm and cultural study. And just it's become a part of our culture, you know, in, in those three decades. And so you have this film that comes along and it's a very ambitious film and uh, and really sets out to to equal those 30, uh, 30 years worth of uh, um, of ideas that have built on top right. of Alien, and um, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I th- I thought it was great. Well, but, I thought what was
0: interesting, though, is like for someone my, uh, like myself who has seen Alien three,
1: yeah, and you like, really you enjoyed, you enjoyed it. May or may not have seen Alien and Aliens the uh,
0: uh, the previous one, or may or may not have seen, but. I <laughs> That was a lost decade. I'm just kidding, um, but we're
1: going to get like a whole bunch of emails now where people be like, "Julie, you should see Alien."
0: Well, no, no. This is, I mean, <laughs> I mean, obviously, like this is something that's going to happen because uh, through this whole process, you know. Anyway, um, it's been very interesting to me to now go back and say, "Okay, let's go and look at all the films since then." But you have been steeped in it. You've been steeped in the mythology, wouldn't you say? Um, you yeah, have someone- yeah. I mean, it's
1: been a part of my life ever since I was old enough to. Watched the original Alien probably on like uh, cable or something,
0: and you have that Sigourney Weaver panties poster well, in your. Um,
1: I, I do not have in the, your office the poster, but I did definitely had it in my mind um, uh, as a young kid. I think that scene probably influenced a lot of of young boys. She was kind of like I was telling you the other day. Shoot that scene. That was she was kind of the Barbarella for for my generation.
0: I see right? that. I see that.
1: And I think it's probably a positive thing because even though she was in her in her underwear and how, and even though that kind of. Disrupts some feminist arguments for the film, and in some cases, weirdly enough, is embraced by feminist right. arguments some, for the film. Right? Some home. people
0: say, "No, this. Let's take the panties." Yeah. And
1: still, she's ultimately give them a power. far less sexualized character than Barbarella. Oh far well, stronger, yeah, so. yeah.
0: Well, Richard Vadim, the director of um, of Barbarella, far different director <laughs> yeah. than Ridley Scott. Uh, but my point is that that we both have different uh, experiences with with a franchise, and we both, I think. Uh, for the most part, really embrace this film and uh, that it is visually spectacular and it does have so many different intriguing elements that will linger far after you've seen the movie.
1: Yeah, I love the cosmology of it and the, the design of it. And, um, I, and I should also point out that I am a total fan of sci-fi horror. Like any horror that takes place in space, um, You're there. I'm generally on board for it. Yeah. Be, it a, be it Alien, be it Pandorum, be it, be it even even something like uh, the 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 nightmare not the nightmare on Elm Street. He hasn't gone into space yet, but uh, the Friday the Thirteenth where Jason uh, is in space, uh, Jason X, cheesy right, right. and awful, but self aware to a certain extent. Uh, uh-huh. I even, I haven't enjoyed that film. So wow, you know. Um, so again, I I really had a great time and uh, and uh, it, and I I felt like it uh, it matched my expectations rather well. Yeah,
0: and that's not to say again that it's not a flawed movie because it is in some ways. I mean, some well, for me, I should say, like you know, some mm-hmm. of the I've talked about some of the dialogue. Um, yeah,
1: it's uh when the when the most relatable character in the film is is an android or a squid monster, <laughs> <laughs> then. Uh, then, you know, that maybe that's saying this is not the, the most character-driven motion picture out there. Um,
0: okay, but I think there's a reason for that, because I think that David is someone that you can project everything onto. David being the android, mm-hmm. um, you know, how could you not... I mean, I've, I fell in love with David. I thought that, you know, he is such an interesting character. And a lot of that has to do with Michael Fassbender in the way that he was so nuanced in his portrayal.
1: Well, let's... Uh Let's discuss him a little more, but first let's listen to a little clip of David interacting with one of his human crew members.
0: Am I interrupting? thought you might be running low. Pour yourself a glass, pal. Thank you, but I'm afraid it would be wasted on me. You think we wasted our time coming here, don't you? Your question depends on me understanding what you
1: hope to achieve by coming here. What we hoped to achieve was to meet our makers, to get
0: answers. Why they even made us in the first place. Why do you think your people made me? We made you because we could. Can you imagine how disappointing it would be for you to hear the same thing from your creator? <laughs> huh. May I ask you something? Please do. How far would you go to get what you came all this way for? Your answers. What would you be willing to do? Anything and everything.
1: So that was a wonderful little scene. Uh, as it, everyone listening to this part has has either seen the film or doesn't care about spoilers, it's the scene where he is uh, he's handing off uh, an infected glass of champagne that's uh, infected with the um, goo, the goo to uh, one of the jerkier members of the <laughs> the crew. There,
0: that's right, to, to Holloway, right? Yeah, and um... the
1: beloved though of the the film's heroine. So it's kind of problematic for the viewer there because on one level you don't really like the dude but he's not evil he's not like paul Reiser and aliens where you're like god oh, this guy can't get an alien in his belly fast enough
0: no he's just not that self-actualized i mean honestly as a character he's not that well drawn and yeah. um but he serves a purpose right he's very passionate about um trying to find uh his maker really um the you know human species maker right and he's terribly disappointed uh because at this point in the film he has not Met his maker, so to speak,
1: and David's basically saying, "Oh, you're disappointed in not meeting your maker." Well, I have met my maker every day of my life, and it's really no big deal, buddy.
0: Yeah, kind of bizarre, that guy's a bummer. So <laughs> don't. And that's what I love about that um, about that scene, and that's a really well written scene, I think, because it does show this um, this sort of complicated future where mm-hmm. you have an android who has learned to sympathize, understands empathy, understands but all he, these yeah. human emotions. And that's
1: an interesting thing to think about with him, because he knows what empathy is. He understands empathy. He is maybe, is he capable of actually, he's capable of faking empathy for sure, but is he really empathetic?
0: Well, and what makes him, uh, what's the difference between him and a sociopath, right? Exactly, I mean, it's just yeah. That he's programmed. To do because we've things. discussed in
1: the past how uh, in treating psychopaths you treat you teach them to pretend to be. Empathetic. Right. And, uh, and but to what extent does that solve problems? To which, it, what extent does it create new problems? Oh, and uh, if you're
0: programmed to understand empathy and to exercise it to a certain degree, there's the whole school of thought of you fake it until you make it, and through the process, you make it. So, on one level, and again, this is, pe- the, you know, this is projection, you can't help but think that David does have some sort of part of his, uh, schematics, um, in his programming that does feel and that he does feel the slight that you hear in that scene where Holloway is being kind of a jerk to him. And he's responding to it accordingly. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's just a really nice, nicely um, handled scene, I think.
1: And speaking of encounters with creators, of course, one of the, the ultimate scenes in the film is, of course, when you have uh, uh, the old Peter Wayland. Uh, um, and he has, uh, he's, he's strapped on his exoskeleton and he's right. walked in. And David, his creation, is there beside him. As they wake up one of these engineers, one of these mysterious space jockeys, uh, that of course originally are, are, are seen and passing as part of the set piece in Alien back in 79. And now here's one alive and awake standing in front of his creation and his creation's creation.
0: Okay, so just to recap, yeah, you've got Peter Whalen, right, who yeah. has funded the trillion dollar trip
1: yeah, he's, with his and,
0: creation. And he's
1: basically uh, going to Mr. Meet. Burns. Yeah.
0: Yes, he is basically Spurns, which, as you said, makes, um, David, uh, Smithers.
1: Smithers, fetch my robotic pants. Yeah, and you know? Smithers
0: was like, and you can tell he's like kind of annoyed by it, he's doing it because he's programmed to. <laughs> um, but as you pointed out, the, we're, you're talking about there are three generations of, of, Something, right? Yeah. You've got the engineer, which is what they've been searching for, the, the, the maker, right? Yeah,
1: this godlike or demigod which figure.
0: Yeah, yeah, which we find out we share 100% of our DNA with, yeah. um, through all sorts of different, uh, processes on the, processes on the ship. Uh, and it is a, it is a very interesting scene because the engineer is not so happy to see what man has made. Uh, or that's what it's inferred, and man has made David, right? this eighth generation robot,
1: yeah, it's it, it, it comes out in the film that the um uh, the goop that they encounter that gives birth to all these monsters the that um, sexually destroy everything uh, that it is a, a like a form of weaponized evolution, weaponized um, organism uh,
0: it's bio warfare orga- organic
1: life, yeah, bio warfare yeah. intended to wipe out planet Earth. The idea being, for that some reason, for we're some not reason, sure. Yeah, that, but you get the idea that it, there's something about humans that isn't—they realize early on isn't going to work. Um, and if it was two thousand years ago, then you know you can sort of maybe they're looking around, they're looking at ancient Rome, and they're like, you know, we checked in on them; they're not doing so hot. Let's go ahead and clean that slate and do something new. But that plan falls through. So that plan falls through. Two thousand years later, this guy wakes up. Not only was the job not done. Not only are these humans still alive, mm-hmm. but they have grown up, expanded out into the uh, into the, the surrounding uh, uh, universe, and have created their own blasphemous little creatures, uh, created in their likeness beside them. So, that and he's mad. Yeah, yeah, he's mad. That combined with two thousand years worth of. Uh, uh, of, of, of wake-up grumpiness uh, results in a homicidal uh, rampage.
0: So I read that Ridley Scott had intended this 2,000 years ago thing, this thing, this point where the engineers had created this goo to wipe out the earth because mm-hmm. they were now mad with their creation, uh, to correspond with um, Christ and hmm. that the, the Christ figure might have even been an engineer himself. Whoa. So that might... I want to see that, that sequel. Well, see, now some people will say, like, why wasn't that written in? And probably because... Well, not
1: everything needs to be written into the film. Well, that was his I whole point. I want to be able to sit around and think about it. You know?
0: Well, and then you start to look at some of the other themes going on, um, certainly birth, and we'll get to that in a moment, mm-hmm. um, and the fact that this is all taking place on Christmas Day. Um, so that kind of... That certainly does oh, I underscore about the that theme. Aspect of it yeah yeah because yeah, I think why is this on Christmas Day who cares you know because yeah. they've got the Christmas tree out there um, and it does make the reading a little bit uh, more interesting of what's going on but again you can throw a whole Jesus plot line into it
1: yeah it it gets, uh, it gets pretty thick
0: yeah yeah <laughs> it gets really interesting uh, and problematic too. And I think this is what is driving people a little bit crazy, is that there are sh- it's so crampacked with, with all these ideas. Some of yeah, them wonderful, like say, some of Yeah, very horrible. ambitious,
1: if not overly ambitious film. Yeah. And, uh, and so some of it... And, and there's some things, like I have no idea why that head blew up. It was a great... From a horror movie perspective, Which it was head? great. They, when they bring the helmeted uh, the head... Oh, in, right, 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 up, yeah. And then they were like, all right, reactivate the cellular tissue. And they're like, let's do it. And then it blows up. I, don't, I maybe a listener can explain that scene to me. To
0: me, that was just the horror element of it, the element of surprise, because here they've got, you know, they've got an engineer's head that they found, um, in the pyramid on the exoplanet, and they're, they're doing some studies on it. And so it was a little bit like, here's this giant man head. Um, (laughs) let's reanimate it and see what happens.
1: Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, well, we should mention terraforming, because in the, in the film, uh, Wayland Industries. Uh, well, not so much in the film, but in the the viral material. There's a lot of talk about how Wayland uh, Industries is really into terraforming other worlds, and mm-hmm. setting up these colonial environments. Uh, and then we encounter the technology of the engineers. Uh, everyone's able to take their helmets off uh, once they're on board the uh, inside the pyramid, mm-hmm. and because there's some sort of terraforming taking place there as well. And we've discussed terraforming before, and it's certainly something that is on on the minds of. Uh, of the, uh, the the loftier visions of, of human humanity's future, the yeah. idea that we could change Mars into a uh, sustainable environment. That uh, we could
0: colonize it for ourselves. Yeah,
1: and if we find an exoplanet that's either a little too hot or a little too cold, that we could even things out with just a wee bit of terraforming mm-hmm. and maybe not destroy everything. Because a lot of times the terraforming, uh, terraforming technology is very similar uh, to some of the more disastrous things that we could do to our own atmosphere such as uh, uh, creating nuclear winter or um, or just drastic climate change. But, uh,
0: so basically you could choose an exoplanet, get there, and do some experimentations uh, either on the atmosphere there, or you could be creating some sort of uh, warfare agent in the form of goop.
1: Yes. And the that goop you don't is want on your of, own planet. Yeah, because the goop is, what's, what I found awesome about that is that it's, it's more than just a bioweapon. Like, it's more than just uh, we've taken one organism and weaponized it, or taken a couple of, of organisms and weaponized it. It's kind of life itself weaponized, mm-hmm. um, which is just a great sci-fi idea. And it's, but it's the kind of thing on a far lesser level that we humans are already doing. Um, some bioterrorism is essentially let's take some anthrax, let's take something that is, that is dangerous in our environment and throw it at our enemy, mm-hmm. and maybe they'll catch it. And that's as ancient as you know siege environments in the Middle Ages where somebody would take a bunch of dead bodies or a dead cow and catapult it into a besieged city to spread disease. But uh, science makes things uh, ever more um, problematic. Uh, so we have uh, uh, chimeric organisms, life forms that contain the genes genes from a foreign species, uh, and we've uh, we 've actually toyed around with using this technology to uh, to not only do some good stuff for instance we 've been able to combine the common cold with polio in a way that sounds horrifying but mm-hmm. it actually may help us uh, cure brain cancer uh, but uh, we 've also toyed around with ways to combine smallpox and anthrax into a single bioweapon or uh, also, during the uh, 1980s, the Soviet Union's Chimera Project studied the feasibility of combining smallpox and Ebola into one supervirus. So, it's an area that we've been looking into, and it can potentially lead to very chilling. Um ramifications that could backfire on us as it apparently backfired on the engineers in this film. Well,
0: yeah, that's the idea is that the engineers on this exoplanet were perhaps wiped out by their own creation, right? This yeah. this, this creature that is spawned from the goo. And what I think is really interesting about this is it's like, hey, let's, let's not only just torch Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just take out our creation altogether. But just in case anybody survives, let's throw some goop at them that, uh, you know, if they interact with it, they're going to gestate this a uh, horrible creature, which will then, uh, kill them. Yeah. I mean, it's a sort of like a, you know, it's a very buttoned up program of annihilation.
1: And then we end up with that scene in the, um, in the, in the robotic, uh, surgery pod, the med pod, uh, 720i, mm-hmm. where, um, uh, the character Shaw, right? Yeah. Name? yeah. Yeah. Uh, she, Elizabeth, uh, Shaw. Elizabeth Shaw, uh, she uh, ends up with the thing growing inside her. That yes. Is eventually like a squid monster of some kind. And uh, and w- she goes to use it, and she's like, all right, I need to put in this procedure to remove this thing growing in me. And then she realizes that it's calibrated only for men, um, which, which leads to one of the more horrifying, because the, the idea of I need to go into this medical chamber and have this thing removed for me, from me uh, is pretty terrifying in and of itself but then to learn that the technology isn't even calibrated for females it's just like an extra level of ah oh, don't
0: do it right then she has to go manual on it and program it's like yeah. oh, okay fine uh, abdominal surgery there is a creature in my stomach please take it out essentially telling the program that and
1: luckily it can roll with those (laughs) instructions Uh,
0: yeah yeah um or i think it's for an object or something like that so it identifies it in that way but it is uh, that whole scene is terrifying and interesting and she doesn't say that she needs an abortion she says she needs a a cesarean that's what, Mm -hmm. uh, what she tells the computer and um and of course, I'm, I'm not going to go into that landscape because I really don't think that's what that scene was about. It was right. about, hey, I'm gestating I'm an alien and it's about to kill me and everybody else on board. I got to get it out. But it is a terrifying scene because you are, you, you feel like you really inhabit the mind, or at least I did, of Elizabeth Shaw where you're trying to get this procedure uh, done. You're inside the pod. You see your stomach basically about to burst open. Yeah. And not only you know are you about to undergo the surgery to remove the this creature, but it's now going to hang over you. <laughs> <laughs> In
1: the little clamps, Yeah.
0: Yes, you're trapped into this pod, and you now must extricate yourself from this situation.
1: Yeah, and it's it's all it's kind of a, one of it's like the uh, it's like a sci-fi version of the cowboy scene. Where you know the cowboy you know, bites a bullet and uh, and, uh, and 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 uh, performs his own surgery there by the campfire kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I also here's just a little food for thought. Uh, to what extent is this uh, scene uh, toying around with some commentary on American healthcare? Here's a here's a device. It's calibrated mostly for males. Uh, it, and uh, and a female is forced to navigate this slightly foreign system to make it work. I don't know. While, while she's
0: having a virgin birth on Christmas day. <sighs> yeah. 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 Uh, which again, another whole spin on this, uh, but it is, it's, it's, it's a, uh I think it's so nightmarish and such a wonderful scene because you really can get behind the technology and, and actually see at least not the, the alien part or the creature part coming out, but see this um, technology being used. Yeah. I think that's why it's so credible to me. Like the scenes, I can really sort of say, "Yes, that that could exist in 2093."
1: um Another thing, uh, a little another bit of technology that pops up: uh, exoskeletons. Uh, as we mentioned, Peter whalen shows up, super old. I think he's like a, a century old at this point. We're trying
0: to figure that out. I mean, we were saying what, like 100 at the youngest, like maybe 140. Uh, yeah, yesterday the, I
1: was making the argument that he might be 140. Today, I looked at the, the timeline for Wayland Industries, and like they have his birthday on there, and he would be 99 or 100.
0: All right. So they uh, went a little bit nuts on the old people makeup on him.
1: The old people makeup is interesting because like Chekhov has a, had a rule with theater that if you have a young man in old man makeup, he will be made young again by the end of the film. And, and from a sensible point of view, why have a young man play an old man when you could just get an old man to play an old man? Mark Bonsaito yeah. is out there, old as heck. And ready to act every day of his life. Get him in there, right? He'd be great.
0: Uh, for me, I was thinking about it more in the context of um, Aubrey de Grey. We've talked about him before. He mm-hmm. is the biogerontologist who says that um, we can live to a thousand years old, and that, that um, in fact, there's we, the first person to live to five hundred has already been born. And he he does this. Um, He's created this theory through something called the longevity escape velocity. And this is this idea that you can maintain your body. We now have enough technology where we could do this like sort of like a classic automobile. So when I saw Wayland, um, you know, with his crazy uh, squished up old skin I kept thinking well that doesn't seem kind of in line with what might be available in 2093 because already you see some uh, women and men cruising around who are 80 90 years old with you know baby fine skin and they're hunched yeah. over in their old Chanel suits and so I sort of expected to see some of more something like a more like the uncanny valley Effect where you see that someone has been messed with on a tissue level and they would just look grotesque in some way.
1: Yeah, I guess I tried to sort of explain away the weirdness of, of old man makeup on a younger man by sort of thinking of it in those terms like, well, he's probably had some, some weird treatments at this point to sustain him to this, uh, to this level. And maybe that's why he would look kind of weird because Max von Sydow is an old man in, an, in, a, in our current age. What will old men look like? Uh, especially r- s- severely rich old men look like a century from now. but
0: uh, Well, maybe one too many chemical peels. Yeah. That's what it looked like, honestly. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. But uh, exoskeletons, though. He ends up yeah. putting on the exoskeleton so he can walk. And that is a very real technology. We've discussed that. Um, the Japanese are particularly interested in it because it's all about let's figure out ways to help older uh, individuals continue to move about their lives, to give mm-hmm. them mobility uh, by augmenting them with uh, with mechanical uh, kind of mechanical braces uh, uh, in some cases uh, things external ro- robotic um, build-outs that will enable them to walk or yeah. get up and down from uh, from in the bathroom easier mm-hmm. things of this nature so, yeah. so we t- need to see that in the film
0: and um, yeah because Japanese uh, the Japanese do have one of the largest aging populations so it does make sense that they would be interested in that technology but yeah that was that was a nice little um, point there in the movie.
1: All right. Well, let's uh, let's come back around to Panties again to, to close everything out. Of if, course. W- we were mentioning how, uh, and, and if you want to learn more about this whole Panties uh, thing, uh, check out Woman, the Other Alien and Alien. Uh, which was uh, by an author by the name of Tom Schoen, and it appeared in Slate. And he just really gets into the academic discussions of Ridley Scott's uh, Alien film. And this was published before Prometheus, so it doesn't get into that at all. But, yeah, he talks about how, you know, you ha- end up with a pro pannies camp and an anti pannies camp uh, when it came to academic discussion of Alien. And then you, you, then you had uh, some commentary that came along that kind of attempted to bridge the two factions.
0: It's true. There was a Professor Creed who actually tried to... The, the, that conversation by saying much has been written about the final scene in which Ripley undresses before the camera on the grounds that it's voyeurism undermines her role as a successful heroine. She wrote with an air of weary summary. Um, but what if Ripley in her panties signifies the acceptable form and shape of woman, the display of woman as reassuring and pleasurable sign? Yeah. I don't know. Um but I did think it it sort of casted Elizabeth Shaw into this question mark of of where she is in this uh, moral code of horror films.
1: Yeah, because she she has sex in the film, but she has sex with her husband Is it her husband or husband and boyfriend? Significant other yeah. w- whatever. It's not morally subject. The the other character, um Theron.
0: Shirley, Shirley, there on. Who
1: has a who has a relationship there with, uh, or at least a brief relationship with Idris Elba's character, uh-huh. uh, the captain. Uh, that just, just kind of comes out of nowhere, but but
0: it's uh, again that that's one of those things that has, is serving the plot, and so it doesn't always ring true. Yeah, yeah,
1: but uh, but but yeah, she's not the Shaw's character isn't tremendously sexualized in this film either. Uh, she does run around in her underwear at one point, which is just going to happen in a. Alien mythos film, but uh, but it's not it's not like hyperly sexual. Okay, right,
0: so she is the one who has the faith, oh. and so she also is the one who is birthing mm-hmm. on Christmas Day, the Virgin Birth. Uh, so there is this idea, you know, we, we talk about the Madonna horror complex, sometimes ascribing mm-hmm. women as either you know um, saintly and innocent or you know. Um, more like the Mary Magdalene, um, and it, you do come away from the film at least I do in feeling like there was she was embodying innocence to a certain degree.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that for sure.
0: So, it is yeah. It's interesting. there is no sort of voyeuristic take on Elizabeth Shaw in this, and so is that pro feminist or is that just relegating really her to you know again this realm where uh, sometimes women just get uh, reduced to the, like this one thing.
1: Yeah. The monsters, for their part, remain hypersexual. Um, it's
0: totally, like, <laughs> hermaphrodites yeah. to a certain degree, right? Some yeah, of them and- that seem phallic will all of a sudden become vagina-like.
1: Yeah. And uh, and that gets into the whole area of uh, vagina uh, din- dentata and, uh, and phallic dentata. If you want to know more about vagina dentata, Stuff Mom Never Told You did a whole episode on this, so...
0: Yeah, it's a reference to castration anxiety, which mm-hmm. is just sort of perfect for a film like this, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, that, that like that doesn't happen. I think that's one of the for for a film in which so many people die so horribly. It's uh it's amazing they didn't go to that uh, that uh, particular well. But, uh, though uh, at
0: the end mm-hmm. there was there was some vagina dentana going on.
1: Oh yes, the the, the squid monster that ends up uh, taking out the engineer and. Uh, Face sexing him, yeah. Yes, yeah. Face sexing, yeah. Which again falls right in line with the with the original ideas in Alien, where it's this weird, like like uh, it's it's sexual assault, but it's also falling back into what is apparently like a um, like a childhood misconception about how sex may work and how babies work. The idea that that the baby is put in through the mouth. Um, so some of the co- this is how deep a lot of the commentary for Alien goes, where they yeah. really gets into into the biologic confusion. Of the piece.
0: You know, that actually, to, not to relate this to my daughter, but I mean, she's three years old and she did ask me the other day why I swallowed her.
1: Oh, well, there you go. So the, an And idea.
0: I was amazed. I thought, oh, God, she thinks I swallowed her. Because, you know, you kids say I was in your belly or whatever. Um, I did want to go quickly back to the creator thing because yeah. it's a huge theme of this movie is trying to find. Um, it's not trying to find God per se, it's trying to find. The the answer to the question of why we are here, who put us here, um, is there a reason for our being?
1: Cosmology and dig, you know? Yeah,
0: and it's, um, and that's why this is uh, sort of a movie that is, uh, I think, so engaging, is because it is taking on this theme. Um, And although you do have this person of faith in Elizabeth Shaw, uh, you also are running against these other moments where there is a void. And one of the things that I thought was very um, interesting is when Wayland meets his maker, right, mm-hmm. the engineer, and um, he's sitting there dying afterward, and, and David's head has been ripped off his robot body, and they're having a conversation. And Wayland says to him, there's nothing. And David says, I know. Have a good journey, Mr. Wayland. Wow. <laughs> and so I thought, is this, you know, that's that's, I think, Part of the what the movie's trying to say, too, is that there's always going to be the mystery. and you know, in the absence of answers, there there is nothing. Um, and there may also be nothing even with the answers because right. he did have his answer to a certain degree. Uh, so uh, interesting food for thought there.
1: All right. Well, th- I would like to invite everyone to take that food for thought, um allow it to crawl down your throat and uh, <laughs> and grow inside you into something. Uh, uh, something more, even more meaningful. Just uh, state yeah. that
0: uh, if you have any gestation thoughts uh, or thoughts from your gestation, yeah, if you, you have have any, share them with us,
1: yeah, general thoughts about the technology in the movie um, and the um, and the ideas in the movie and things we've discussed here. Uh, let us know about those. Just fair warning: um, if it's a spoilery discussion, we're we're not going to read any of that on the air. We'd still love to hear it, but it'll it'll end up just being for for our eyes only. Uh, if you want to interact with us and share stuff, you can find us on Facebook, where we are stuff to blow the mind, and you can also find us on Twitter, where our handle is blow the mind.
0: And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind@discovery.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.